0: Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Michael Walden. and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. I want to thank everyone for joining me today. Today is an important topic, as all of the topics are on my show, because I'm actually providing information that you want to hear. So please keep those phone calls coming in, those emails coming in, the posts on the blog regarding the topics that you want to hear. So for those that are new to the show, this is where you send your, your show topics and questions too. Send them to me, my personal email at info at blooddetective.com or you can call me or leave a message on my number at 914-552-1442 and you can post on my blog and listen to all the other radio shows up on the blog at intmedny.com. So today's show topic is beating cancer and this is not your average show about cancer. I've done many shows about cancer over the years and so have uh, other uh, show hosts on this radio station but the fact that i see so many people with cancer and conduct so much ongoing research and in addition to that teach many seminars to oncologists for example has given me some particular insights that I, i just have to share to you today so The description of the show is uh, how to beat cancer, and that is a possible thing. There's only one circumstance, I believe, that you cannot beat cancer, and that is if you live a very, very long time, (laughs) meaning that if we should live long enough, the chances are we'll probably die of cancer, unless something simple gets us ahead of time. In other words, I'm trying to emphasize the fact that cancer happens eventually because the accumulated effects of the damage to cells, the damage to our DNA, you know, the intelligence of the cells accumulates over time. So, right at this moment, you have hundreds of thousands of cancer cells in you. And why don't you have active cancer? Why aren't you dying of cancer right now? Well, you're not most likely because the amount of healthy cells that you have and the ability of your immune resiliency is overcoming the number of cancer cells that are produced. Now, over time and as you age, the degenerative cancer cells overcome the body's ability to manage them and then cancer manifests. And I said in the show description that there are hundreds of types of cancer. Well, I'll go further to say that there's actually a type of cancer, that is unique for every single person that ever has cancer. What I mean by that is, even if you were diagnosed, let's say, with breast cancer or prostate cancer, maybe it's lung or liver, whatever it is, there are other individuals that have these diagnoses too, right? Of course, other people are diagnosed with breast, lung, liver, etc. The same cancer. But how it affects your body uniquely, biochemically and cellularly, physiologically is never exactly the same as anyone else. So why would we wanna give you the exact same treatment as someone else with your exact same diagnosis? When we've just established that the diagnosis is a misnomer, to say that everyone with breast cancer has the same manifestations of breast cancer and the same nutritional needs and uh, the same genetics and requires one of a handful of treatments only is nothing short of ridiculous, really. So the point I'm trying to make here is that it's up to each of us, along with trained uh, nutritionists, to figure out what your unique needs are, whether you have cancer or want to avoid cancer. And that can be done with a very careful history and lots of questionnaires, which help to narrow down things in terms of, let's say, for example, a person has prostate or, or, or breast cancer, that uh, questionnaires that are very uh, organ-specific and very, very detailed can reveal clues, what I call blood detective clues, but in this case, surveys, and I have blood detective surveys, so that your dietary supports and your nutritional supplement supports and your exercise needs and other lifestyle factors can be geared towards your body's needs, which may be different than another. Okay, so we've established that you are different. And I, want, I wanted to do that because I see a lot of lip service being given to the nutritional uniquenesses of individuals, but then everyone, everyone gets the same things. Okay, I wanna open up by telling you about the Adventist health study. You know, the seven day Adventists? So the Adventist Health Study supports the idea that plant-based diets, rich in in fruits and vegetables, legumes, certain grains and nuts and seeds can help cancer patients and survivors lead healthier lives. Now, before I tell you more about the Adventist Health Study, people ask me all the time, Dr. Wald, they'll say, what is the best diet for me, for my cancer? Is it the macrobiotic diet? Is it a gluten-free diet? is it a ketogenic diet? Is is it a vegan? Is it a vegetarian diet? What's the diet? And you people out there are thinking of many, many other diets. Well, if I had to choose one diet, it would definitely be a plant-based diet, but I would augment that diet with specific foods that are plant-based and specific supplements for the unique situation that you might be in, or a patient that I see is in. So, I do believe that a plant-based diet is the place to start. So let me go ahead a bit more with this, the Adventist health study, which again is a plant-based diet study. So the study conducted by researchers at Loma Linda University, examined the health and habits of seven-day Adventists, 35% of whom are vegetarian versus 4% of the general population as a whole, and studied the impact of various diet patterns from 2002 all the way to 2014. That's a pretty darn good study for human beings. Now, from the 12 year long study, the researchers determined that individuals who eat plant-based diets, they simply live longer. They have fewer instances of cancer. They weigh less than people that are not on plant-based diets, and they have less heart disease, the number one killer. The researchers also point to the plant proteins as being superior to animal proteins, the omega-3 fatty acids, the alpha-linolenic acid, and the micronutrients such as beta-carotene and vitamin C as several of the most beneficial aspects of the plant-based diet. Now, one criticism I have of not just this study, but all studies of diets, is that these diets are never exactly what a person needs. So some nutritionists will claim that nutritional supplements should be uh, provided to augment and enhance the the plant-based diet or whatever the diet is, while other nutritionists say, we don't need nutritional supplements when we have a clean diet that's balanced. What do you think? Well, having done this sort of work for 27 years and having worked with individuals who've tried all sorts of diets and looked at their laboratory work and talked to them for long periods of time and followed them for years and have done ongoing research uh, and taught symposiums and seminars on this topic, my strong belief is that nutritional supplements are an absolute must, they have to be used. The concept that a balanced diet, a clean, balanced, natural diet can serve all of our needs is a philosophical belief That is not grounded in the reality of very, very sick people like those with cancer who don't absorb normally what they're eating from that wonderful diet. That's number one. Number two, with cancer, the nutritional needs of the immune system and the reparative systems, they often far exceed what one could eat from a perfectly balanced diet. And then again, there's the philosophical question of what a balanced diet is for an individual. Well, once again, I think that that balanced diet must start in the realm of a plant diet. And through the best tools that we have, like I mentioned, detailed conversation, review of detailed whole body organ questionnaires, doing detailed laboratory work, we come up with a plan of how the plant-based diet should be individualized for your needs, for the person and patient's needs that I see. And the same goes for the use of nutritional supplements, whether they're vitamins, minerals, herbs, or other nutraceuticals. And there's the other question, of course, about um, given the specific cancer and what research shows is particularly important to take the right dose. So for example, vitamin D is essential in all cancer, cancer prevention and cancer treatment. I cannot think of a single exception to that rule. Having said that, I recently spoke with a, uh, someone who is not even a patient, but uh, she is an oncologist. She is a breast oncologist and she herself developed breast cancer. And I looked at her and I noticed her complexion was pale and her eyes were very blue. And I said, so tell me that your vitamin D levels were low and you're taking vitamin D. And she was silent for a few seconds and finally said, well, yes, I do believe. Yes, yes, my vitamin D levels were checked. They were low and I was, I was told to take vitamin D. So I was teaching this seminar on intravenous nutrition and nutrition in general for uh, disease for beginning practitioners, um, meaning those practitioners, cardiologists, there was a pharmacist there, an oncologist and others that want to get into the natural field because they, they got sick or they had patients that they helped uh, quite by chance using some natural therapy. So they really wanted to get this right and i said to her i said you know what you just said about your doctor saying you should take some vitamin d is the most common error i ever hear the first scenario is someone has low vitamin d and this is important for everyone to hear this and the doctor says okay go take some vitamin d does that mean it's 500 ius is it a 1000 international units is it 5 is it 5000 is it 10000 then a slightly smarter more aware doctor would say take 5,000 or take 10,000 a day. But the correct answer is, if you are low on your blood work and vitamin D, if your value is less than a 30, then you need to take 50,000 units once a week for eight weeks and then have your blood rechecked. And then you titrate your vitamin D to get it at the 70 range, 70 to 75, that's the optimal range. The higher normal your vitamin D on a blood test, I'll say it again, the higher normal the vitamin D is on a blood test, the lower your overall morbidity, mortality, which means the higher the vitamin D, the longer a person statistically can delay the early onset of diseases that tend to kill us early. And the higher the vitamin D, usually the greater the quality of our daily lives. So our mortality and our morbidity, which is the quality part, can be improved. It's just that one thing. Given the right time, you know, some patients will say to me, Dr. Wilder, you know, I've been taking this for four weeks now and I don't feel any better. When I hear a statement like that, I realize that the patient, uh, I have failed them. I have not given them the right context in terms of expectations. Sometimes, yes, a person uh, can feel better within a handful of weeks, of course. But depending on the situation, it may take several weeks. So we need to make sure that the blood levels are are moving in the right direction and the urine tests are moving in the right directions and the, ant- the responses to the questionnaires done again show improvement and and a reduction in scores which means that the person is feeling better in ways they didn't even realize so let's move on more to this whole plant-based concept i have seen a lot more people take an interest in plant-based diets over the past few years that, that i ever have and The approach of a plant-based diet is that it contains foods that are as close to whole foods as possible and that come from the ground. And if you follow this type of eating pattern, it can help uh, people with all manner of health problems, not just cancer. And you wanna get between five to nine servings of fruit and vegetables per day. And that's what the American Institute for Cancer Research says is needed to offset one's risk of overall death. Now, eating nine servings, five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables per day is is nearly impossible for most people who uh, have a job. Okay, (laughs) Um, so you try your best. And then uh, what I do is I augment or add to uh, those that I work with superfood powders. You've heard of them before. I have something called Detox One, Detox Two, detox three and four. These are pharmaceutical grade clean plant concentrates that I designed for the purpose of making sure that a person has the nutritional equivalent of over 70 different fruits and vegetables, not five and nine. So when you do your juicing, I would have you add a scoop of my detox one through four into that drink each day if you do just that that is a tremendous asset to the uh, to your health potential the amount of phytonutrients and antioxidants and immune modulators and fibers and all other nutraceuticals are they're they're not even countable consuming a plant-based diet is your proactive approach that you can choose to decrease your risk of dying of anything and optimize your longevity so if you're feeling well now this can help you feel well longer. That's the potential. The so-called Western diet, or what I call the standard American diet, the SAD or SAD diet, which is common obviously in the United States and many, many developed countries, is high in animal-based foods and has been correlated with heart disease and cancer and diabetes and other chronic diseases. Look, we know that vegetarians and vegans tend to have much lower risks of not just these diseases, but many, many others. And this was also shown in the Adventist Health Study. So, how do you kick your bad habits, or how do you improve your uh, current, uh, you know, food habit? How do you make how do you eat better? Is what I am trying to say. So, first thing is the benefits of a plant based diet may be clear, but cutting back. On high fat for a lot of people and animal proteins and highly uh, processed sugar-laden convenient items is not easy because you're addicted to these things. Convenience is a big part of living. It's a big part of our culture. And many times it completely uh, trumps eating healthy. So we need to talk about behavior changes that modify our eating patterns so that we can choose nutrient-dense foods. And this is how... We benefit cancer, prevention and treatment. So what I do is first I acknowledge that all people are different. and they're in di- You're in different stages of, of treatment and cancer and you have different nutritional priorities. So I personally aim at educating uh, people about the potential benefits of making uh, healthy changes. So I start with education. I certainly don't tell Everyone that they should have to become a vegan in order to feel better, or for their body, you know, or for the body to just heal properly. But I do emphasize the benefits of adding more plant foods to meals and decreasing the amount of animal based and processed foods in the diet. Now, I personally believe that a plant based diet is the way to go overall. I said that as I opened the show. But the truth is that. There are individuals that could get away with doing less. I just don't know who they are. So I go with the very best suggestion that I know, and that's starting with a plant-based diet that I manipulate to emphasize specific foods in it that have the nutrients that a person needs for their cancer or their health history and perhaps their desire to, um, to offset or delay or prevent as much as possible their chances of, of getting cancer. So the reasoning behind uh the advice that I give is simple. Plants contain various phytochemicals, phyto is plant that may enhance immune function, inhibit cancer growth and prevent carcinogens from forming among many other adverse actions in the body. So let me say that again because inhibiting cancer cell growth is the number one factor that has to be done. The number two one is to prevent carcinogens in our environment from becoming carcinogens in our bodies and modifying immune function. There are another whole subset of molecular mechanisms, I call them, that are involved in all cancers, that a wide variety of foods and nutrients uh, provide the best, I'd say, overall coverage of, of that. So in other words, there's certain nutrients that are better for preventing cancer cells from circulating in the blood and leaking out, like making a right or a left turn, right through the blood vessel wall or right through the lymphatic channel wall and then seeding cancer in other areas of the body. When a cancer cell goes from inside a blood vessel or inside a lymphatic channel and it goes out, that's called extravasation. It can only extravasate if the blood vessel is leaky if there's a molecular space allowing cancer cells to get through. So there are certain nutrients, like modified citrus pectin, that are very well studied for helping to prevent metastatic spread by helping to reduce the leakiness of blood vessels and lymphatic channels. So that's one mechanism that that one particular nutrient helps. But then there's another way that cancer harms the body, and that's with by forming cancer cells in the first place. That's called initiation, right? Makes sense. So there are a whole set of nutrients for that. And then there's nutrients to improve the immune system, either to reduce a hyperactive immune system if there's an autoimmune tendency. Autoimmune is hyperactive. And then there's different nutrients, or sometimes the same, they may overlap and act as a response modifiers that can take a low immune system and bring it up. So those are just a few of the mechanisms. So when you hear a thing, and people will say this to me often, they'll say to me, "Um, I read on the net or I heard that this, this formula, this herbal concoction is the best thing for cancer. And I'll look at it, and sometimes it'll have some really good things in it, but it doesn't cover all of the known pathways very well. Here's a bit of information you need to know. So all these pathways, you don't have to remember any of them. You just have to know, just have to be mindful that there are lots of ways that cancers form and cancers spread and cancers affect inflammation in the body and, and immunity, etc. There's lots of mechanisms. If you want to cover all those mechanisms, to the best of my knowledge in my 27 years of studying this area, you would have to take... A minimum of about 36 different nutrients, some of them phytonutrients and some of them are vitamins and minerals, in order for you to cover all those mechanisms and not only to cover all the mechanisms, but also so that the levels of the nutrients in the blood are therapeutic. So many people say to me, Dr. Wald, no, I I take curcumin. I take the curcuminoids and uh, I know it's good for cancer. And I say, well, is it combined with black pepper fruit? And they'll say, what's that? Then I know whoever they saw or whatever information that they read about the effects of turmeric in cancer was just not up to date. You must combine turmeric with black pepper fruit. Why? Because there's a chemical in black pepper fruit, known as biopterine, and biopterine enhances the absorption of turmeric in the body by nearly 2,000%. That is no joke. So the, the anti-cancer studies say you need about 12,000 milligrams of just turmeric for an anti-cancer effect, but they just used regular turmeric with no biopterine in it, with no black pepper fruit. So if you take the black pepper fruit, you would need something like 4 grams a day. Something like that. Now, why is it, again, that you would need roughly 36 different nutrients to cover the cancer mechanisms that underscore most all cancers? Well, that's what some very, very good research shows. In other words, we know that if you take curcumin, if you take resveratrol, if you take melatonin, if you take vitamin C, selenium, glutathione, whatever it is, if you want an anti-cancer effect of that, it has to reach a certain level of concentration in the blood and therefore to the cells. Right? That makes sense. But many practitioners and people misunderstand studies and they think if they just take an, an, any old amount, that that will somehow work now this number 36 if you combine the top 36 nutritional uh, anti-cancer nutritional products correctly you would need about 36 of them so that they would act together so well that they would produce a concentration in the blood that is that's really therapeutic so Keep that in mind. And you're thinking now, well, how I can't take 36 different nutrients. This is just my opinion. But if you have cancer and you cannot take 36 different nutrients, then you simply have limited your your lifespan uh, or certainly the quality of your life and or the ability of your body to withstand chemotherapy, if you choose that, and or to withstand radiation and to offset many of the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation and you also missed opportunities to take the right nutrients that can potentially enhance the effects of certain forms of chemotherapy. So it's not fun taking 36 nutrients, but think of it this way. Imagine in front of you, you have 36 sets of stairs and they're really tall. They're just too much to take, right? At these big tall doses. But if you properly combine those 36 nutrients correctly, They work so well. They cooperate so well together. Those 36 staircases in front of you guys and gals, they're now like a step. And that means a lot less volume and it makes it a lot easier to take. So you may want to listen to my show, which you can find on my blog at intmedny.com. That's my website, intmedny.com. Look up the Nutritional Synergism Show. For those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and we're talking about beating cancer. We're talking about dealing with cancer once you have been diagnosed with it. We're, we're talking about preventing cancer as much as is possible. We're also talking about, and we'll talk more detail about the use of nutrition to offset the adverse effects of certain types of chemotherapy and radiation, and also to reduce the toxicity of these medications. And we always, always need to keep in mind that if you're going to take nutrients and also chemotherapy, that you must work with a knowledgeable healthcare provider that knows about the adverse combinations with between chemo and nutrients, those you don't want. And you also want to know the positives of how how one would combine nutritional supplements with certain types of chemo to enhance their effects. Very important distinctions. You know, let's talk about plants again. And we've been talking about a plant-based diet. It's obviously very fundamental for cancer prevention and treatment. So those phytonutrients that I mentioned, those plant nutrients, those compounds, they also have antioxidant properties, but they also have oxidant properties. They help maintain cellular health and reduce damage to the cell, caused by environmental pollutants and other toxins there's even evidence that suggests that and these were animal cell culture studies that phytonutrients play a role in cancer prevention now everyone listening to this show knows that of course plants plant products help prevent cancer but i want to reiterate something in this last sentence i mentioned that these phytonutrients can act in the body as either antioxidants right and Oxidants. So what have you learned? You have learned so far in your life that antioxidants are good. And if you had ever heard the term oxidant, you might understand that it is bad. But that is not true. Here is what is true. And this is basic chemistry. This is not Dr. Michael Wall blood detective chemistry. This is what is true. Oh, by the way, for those of you who want to leave me questions as we move along in the show, my phone number is 914-552-1442. I'll say it again, 914-552-1442, and email me at info at So we are talking about that when you consume a so-called antioxidant, like a phytonutrient, resveratrol for example... It goes into your body. Depending on the environment of your body, the physiology of your body, it, your, your body basically is a big biochemical experiment going on every second. When you take in a nutrient like resveratrol, it can act either as, or vitamin C, by the way. Let's use that one since that's an, we all know of, about vitamin C. If you take vitamin C in your body, it can act either as an oxidant, or an antioxidant, depending on your needs. So if you have cancer, and you have cancer cells, and you have some normal cells, there's a difference between those two cells. The normal cell has a protective chemical in it. It's called catalase. And the cancer cells do not. So when you take that vitamin C in, and your body senses that, hey, my cancer cells don't have catalase, But my healthy cells have that armor on them called catalase. It decides what to do physiologically, biochemically with the vitamin C. So a super healthy body, an intelligent body biochemically, when that's doing it right, turns the vitamin C into, and here it comes, drum roll please, it turns vitamin C into an oxidant. So think of two plates in front of you. Those are cells. The one on your right is a normal cell. The one on your left is the cancer cell. The one on the right, the normal cell, that plate just throw a C in it. It's got catalase in it. Now, vitamin C comes along and it's all around those plates. And those plates are both exposed to vitamin C. So vitamin C is now an oxidant and a pro-inflammatory chemical that pro-inflammatory chemical can eat away at cancer cells. And multiple studies have shown that this is a fact. Vitamin C as an oxidant in the blood will kill cancer cells. It won't kill all cancer cells, but neither does chemotherapy or radiation. And as I mentioned in that seminar, I mentioned uh, to you at the beginning of the show that I taught, which included an oncologist, Uh, I said, and we simply need to add everything we can that has a greater potential to help the patient than to hurt the patient. And she, of course, nodded in agreement. So my point of this story is that the body uses nutrients in in the ways it should use them if it's using them correctly. If not, then a person has more cancer cells and healthy cells and they can be overtaken by the cancer. So what do you do? This could I can imagine this is very confusing to some of you out there that are listening with particular intention because you have a concern about cancer for yourself. Maybe you are diagnosed with cancer. Maybe you have a family member with cancer. And you, you're thinking, well, what do, how do I know what to take? Well, you have to get help. You would see someone like me, someone who has years of experience, someone who looks at the medical nutrition literature and knows and has a license to do laboratory testing. You don't want a lot of guesswork. And you figure it out. It can be figured out. So let's move on here for a moment. You know, it's been said that plant-based diets can help cancer patients during and after treatments by boosting their levels of vitamin C and E, which have, you know, antioxidant effects. They may have oxidant effects, which I described to you just now. And they contain minerals such as magnesium, potassium, which can become deficient in people undergoing cancer treatments. And food provides, some say the optimal source of these nutrients, but that's just not true. What is the the evidence of that? That's an argument that I've heard sometimes by those who feel that foods are everything. Foods are not everything. Foods are important, of course, but they're not everything. I cannot even count how many people who have seen me over my 27 years of clinical practice who have eaten so cleanly that I am astounded uh, by, by how they never varied or, or veered from their plant-based diet and they still got cancer or other conditions. Now, number one, we can't guarantee that uh, if you do the right things, you're never going to get sick. We're all going to get sick. Uh, One day it's going to happen, but we can improve and extend the quality period of our lives and we can offset the onset of cancer and heart disease and autoimmune diseases and diabetes and other conditions, statistically speaking, by making these sorts of lifestyle changes. So people who eat healthy and a plant-based diet, you've got some basics of of the nutrition in plants. You want to take those superfoods, as I said, and you will have a better uh, chance of avoiding cancer and also a better tolerance to cancer treatments. Let's talk about this for a second. You know those two questions you keep hearing over and over on on radio shows and in magazines about nutrition and cancer, and it goes something like this. My doctor said not to take antioxidants, not to take any added nutritional supplements at all, because they are going to interfere with my chemo or radiation. So, what is the truth? So, folks, here I was teaching this seminar to some top doctors and a very and a particularly smart oncologist, and there I wa- was presenting the studies that I always talk about on this show. But finally, with this person who who made it her business to seek me out for this. And here is what I said in front of her. What I'm trying to say to you is I didn't know. I wanted to know what that reaction was going to be to this statement. The statement was this. Don't quote me on the number of studies, but it goes something like this. Over 600 studies were surveyed of individuals that took non-prescription nutritional supplements. And they found that. Those supplements enhanced, improved the effects of cancer treatments and reduced multiple side effects. At the end of my seminar, she approached me, eyes wide open, and she said to me, you know, in medical school, they told us flat out that there is no evidence, there's no proof for any of this, and not to use it and not to support it in patients but they were lying to us. That is almost verbatim what she said. And, you know, I had been preparing, I suppose, my whole life to have a traditional oncologist make uh, just admit that because it, it is the truth. I also reviewed studies that showed that the proper use of nutrition improves quality of life in cancer patients and reduces side effects in cancer patients. So why wouldn't we use it? She, she couldn't respond because, of course, an individual would want to use it. Maybe it has something to do with pharmaceutical companies uh, that, that push their agenda so much that the tools of the trade of the average, not just oncologist, but physician, are drugs. They're pharmaceuticals. So I get it. I get it. It's just, we can clearly see that there are individual doctors that can break that mold and they have, and they have. So let's talk about some practical strategies to get your diet closer to a plant-based diet. So we've established that by consuming plant-based foods, you're gonna be healthier, no doubt. I have had patients lose weight. Their cholesterols is flying down. It was what I did to manage my multiple sclerosis. You know, when I was 18, some of you know this from listening to the radio show. When I was diagnosed, my dad was a top nutritionist way back in the day. And he put me on the right way to eat and put me on the right supplements. And I am a very, very healthy 52 year old who will probably run 15 miles later on in the day because this is my, my long day to run. I have no limitations. So if you want to achieve these goals of the plant-based diet, you need to begin by filling half of your plate up with fruits and vegetables, one quarter of it with grains that are not gluten grains, and they're, they're GMO-free, obviously, right, folks? And the remaining 25% with uh, protein-based uh, foods or high-protein-based uh, plant foods. If you email me at info at request that I send you my gluten GMO-free food plan. I have many dozens of recipes that took a long time to figure out, and they were tested by a gourmet chef that are both gluten-free and GMO-free, and they are plant-based. So email me at info at Once again, for those of you joining us late in the show... We're talking about a plant based diet. We're talking about what nutrients do in the body, the different mechanisms that nutrients and foods and nutritional supplements have to affect in order to really have anti cancer potential. Uh, I should make mention that uh, genetically modified foods, uh, I've always believed, uh, can trigger cancer and other, and other conditions. I wrote a book called Frankenfoods that you can find on my website at blooddetective.com. Dot com. And more recently, uh, you'll see a blog uh, on I had uh, contributed to uh, an article in a magazine regarding my opinion and the cancer, uh, the proven cancer connection of GMOs to non-Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma, which is an all too common type of smoldering long-term cancer. And again, for those of you who can't imagine eating a plant-based diet, first of all, I realize that everyone has different tastes, but I personally have been able to adapt my eating uh, habits to the point where I really enjoy my foods. I'm, I'm never really uh, hungry. Uh, and you know my laboratory work is perfect. I would warn, though, uh, let's say particularly the, the cancer patients who want to experience the, the benefits of a plant-based diet, I, I just caution you against this all-or-nothing approach because uh, people can develop nutritional deficiencies uh, in their efforts to get on the plant-based diet uh, or even a vegetarian diet you know, on their own. We all know that vegetarian diets are commonly or protein deficient. There are iron anemias and B12 anemias and vitamin C anemias and folic acid anemias. So there are adverse problems as well when these things are not done right. So you want to talk to your nutritionist and get specific uh, options that are best for your specific uh, situations. And you want to also be mindful that a diet that's overly restrictive will eliminate not just the nutrients I just mentioned uh, or or minimize them but you may take in inadequate amounts of fats which you need obviously to form uh, hormones. Hormones are tissue reparative um, and uh, the right amounts of carbohydrates and particularly proteins. All of these macronutrients are necessary of course for overall cellular function. So just be sure your diet doesn't overly restrict uh, any one of these important nutrients. So, what I wanted to talk about now is more specific nutrition in the form of supplementation. Now, a little earlier, I mentioned this 30 this magical 36 number of nutrients. That's not carved in stone. My my point is to emphasize to you that nutritional synergism is the concept whereby nutrients work together in such a way that they hyper-support one another. So if you were to take vitamin C, for example, with rose hips or vitamin C with quercetin or turmeric with biopterine found in black pepper fruit, if you combine, let's say, any two of those, they might give you effects in the body that are equivalent, let's say, to four nutrients rather than two. And then if you put six different synergistic nutrients together, vitamins, minerals, herbs, whatever, that are known to have synergistic and supportive effects. Let's say you put six and six together, they might give you an effect of 24. So this super additive effect, which is what it's called, is what we're going for. If you think that you're just going to get, let's say, an intravenous infusion of all the nutrients you need, I have some people that think this, it doesn't happen that way. I just taught an intravenous course. I did author a book on IV nutrition. In fact, I think it's the only one that's an A to Z book on diseases and intravenous nutrition that is published in the United States. So I know a little something about this topic. We cannot put everything you need in an IV. Um, And if one goes for, let's say, just uh, intravenous vitamin C, that's one thing. So I cannot, we don't have the time today to go over like all of the the top 36 nutrients because they, they vary a bit from person to person. But I'm going to mention the, a couple of the more important ones. So turmeric. You know, we know that turmeric is a spice that's often used in, you know, food flavoring. It's been used for many years uh, as herbal remedies. Uh, and there is a ton of research that shows that it can help prevent and treat different types of cancer. It's also known as Indian saffron. It's got a bunch of other names that I can't pronounce. It's a spice that's grown in Asian countries. And it belongs to the ginger family and is a major ingredient in curry powder. So there's been a number of studies that have shown that curcumin does have anti-cancer effects. It seems to be able to kill cancer cells and prevent them from growing. It's a couple of different mechanisms, right? And it's been... um, It has effects on uh, breast cancer specifically, uh, bowel cancer, stomach cancer, skin cancers, uh, and others. There was a, a 2013 international laboratory study that looked at the effects of a combined treatment with curcumin and chemotherapy on bowel cancer cells. And the researchers concluded that the combined treatments are better than chemotherapy alone. So they themselves figure this out. There was another study, an American study in mice that seemed to show that curcumin helped to stop the spread of cancer cells to other parts of the body. That's called metastasis. And I mentioned earlier that modified citrus pectin also has that effect. So when one combines curcumin with modified citrus pectin, they don't just get 1 plus 1 equals 2. They get 1 plus 1 equals like a 6 effect. So we think that curcumin stays in the digestive system and is absorbed by the cells in the bowel. Some of it definitely makes it into the blood, but for bowel cancer, it's absorbed in the actual cells, and that's how it can kill a lot of these uh, cancer cells in the bowel. Okay, now let's switch gears for a bit. We talked about a plant-based diet. We talked about synergism. We just talked about turmeric. Now I want to talk about being more environmentally aware uh, and more stringent uh, in your daily awareness when it comes to the use of plastics and other so-called biodegradable materials. Plastics are overall particularly harmful. Some of them act as estrogens, and they act as super estrogens, and others disrupt the immune system in all sorts of ways, most of the ways we don't even know. So I would say you want to avoid plastics as much as possible. So I do not drink coffee with a plastic top. I do not drink water that's been stored in a plastic bottle. I do not use a microwave. And certainly having microwave safe plastics, none of these plastics and whether or not they've been governmentally uh, classified as safe or not with, and how they're used, that doesn't satisfy me. Uh, there's not enough research on these plastics, but the research that we do have makes it look really bad. We just don't want to get this stuff exposed. For example, there was a type of plastic, uh, PVC, remember that one? And, you know, or vinyl, and it's most uh, was commonly found in children's toys and plastic shoes, still there, plastic food packaging, shower curtains. And it contains those, a toxic chemical called phthalates. And phthalates can affect growing children, obviously. They specifically showed that it affects the, the, the development of the male baby's uh, genitals. And of course, as you might imagine, it's also a type of plastic that is also uh, very detrimental to our well-being uh, because it does not break down over time and it engages in... Uh, very deleterious biochemical reactions in our bodies the best way to avoid the cancer effects or potential cancer effects of plastics is of course not to be exposed to them but we know that that is an impossibility at, at, at this time and in, in, uh, in, uh, in our lives and in the environment so first detox one two three four phytonutrients which cover a lot of nutritional basis for the uh, breakdown of plastics for the transformation of them from highly toxic, fat soluble uh, versions of themselves to more water soluble forms that can be excreted in the body. But the thing is, many of these metals, I'm sorry, many of these plastics, they last, uh, they're in the body all the time. We're breathing all the time. And we also store them from years back. So you can't just take your phytonutrients once a day you because they won't last in your bloodstream uh, at a high enough concentration you need to take whatever nutrients you're going to take for health purposes including this two to three times per day depending on what's known as the half life of the nutrient so for example and i'm just making this up resveratrol may have a half-life of about six to eight hours so if that's true You'd want to take it in the morning, early in the morning, and you want to take it at some point six to eight hours later so you cover, you know, a full easily 12 hours, but you want it in your bloodstream, even when you sleep. (laughs) So you need to time your nutrients appropriately. I'm not saying take it when you're sleeping. I didn't mean that. I meant you take it appropriately during waking hours so that you have therapeutic high levels of whatever nutrient we're talking about. Also uh, when we are sleeping because the body is still repairing then. In fact, that is when most repair is taking place. So this is a very neglected thing. Many people that I see, they've been taking the right nutrients, but they take them uh, in not enough amounts, not the right amounts. And then they take them such that they take them too early in the day, or they'll take them just once a day. And then they have nothing or very, very little or non-therapeutic amounts uh, when they're sleeping, which is absolutely uh, horrific because it's a waste of time. All these efforts, all this money poured into taking nutrients and not having therapeutic amounts during rest and sleep. Not good at all. And have you heard of polystyrene? Polystyrene is in most of those takeaway containers, uh, plastic uh, cutlery. Uh, I mentioned coffee cup lids earlier. Uh, They're made of mostly this. And it is a known carcinogen and it's a neurotoxin especially when it's heated. So as you continue to have hot things in contact with that plastic, it just leaches out more and more and more. So once again, all the phytonutrients, and we want glutathione, we want lipoic acid, we want coenzyme Q10, and whatever else the laboratory work of an individual says that they need. And okay, so I am the blood detective, so we need to talk about the blood for a second. I just mentioned that a person needs to take nutrients based on what their blood says they need. That is one way of helping to figure out what nutrition a person needs. In other words, you might, in some cases, like vitamin D levels, a vitamin D level is a useful blood measurement for how much vitamin D someone needs. But it is important that you do not get fooled to think that vitamin levels for all other nutrients are equally as accurate and useful. They're not. For example, most water-soluble nutrients, like let's say B1, B2, B3, B6, B5, uh, B12, folic acid, blood levels only tell us the last two to five or six days of nutrient intake. That's it. Vitamin D is fat soluble. So that tells us levels over a much longer period of time. So how do you know how much of the other nutrients to take, like those B vitamins I just mentioned? Well, one way, for example, of figuring out If your body is using, that's what you want to know. Is your body using your B12 normally? The way you want, is your body using folic acid and B6 and something called betaine the way it should? Well, the tests for that would be something called homocysteine. And another test is methylmalonic acid. Homocysteine, which you may have heard of, it's a toxic amino acid that the higher it is, the more disease you'll get. And it is a use test. It's a functional test, they call it, of how well you use folic acid and B12 and B6 in that order usually. And then methylmalonic acid tells us more about how well your body uses B12 and then folic acid. So these are tests of use. If your doctor tells you, oh, your blood level of B12 is elevated, you need to stop that. Your doctor, you need to get another doctor because that does not tell you anything about the use of B12. In fact, you can have a high level of a vitamin like B12 in your blood. Are you listening? And that could mean that you're deficient in your cells. If it's not in the cell, it'll be high in the area around the cell, which is the plasma or the serum. So I hope you can visualize that. So sometimes what I will do is if I see a high level of B12, I'll give someone methylated B12. I give them B12. Their levels are high. I still give it to them. And guess what happens? Their blood levels go down. Why would that be? Research has shown that the methyl process, methylated process, pushes B12 into the cell, so it's used. Not everyone needs methylated B12, by the way. But I'm just trying to emphasize the point that blood levels of vitamins, of just the vitamin itself, may be wrong. We need tests like homocysteine and methylmalonic acid to know if we're using the B vitamins. If you wanna know if you're using vitamin C correctly, well, if you're using vitamin C for cancer, I'm gonna be checking different chemistries in your blood or your urine than if you're using vitamin C for non-cancer purposes. I can check different compounds or have checked different compounds that let me know about the use of the nutrient for the purposes that we need. So there's all that. And testing is great, but it's limited. And then a conversation about symptoms and physical appearance and genetics and family history, that gives us clues about what nutrients someone needs, as does those detailed blood uh, blood detective questionnaires I mentioned earlier, or detailed organ-specific whole-body questionnaires. And then a practitioners should be taking all of that information and then making a decision as to what a person needs. And then here comes the fun part, then there's trial and error. It does take time and trial and error to then see how you as an individual respond to things. Even when it is identified that you need specific foods and specific nutrients, that doesn't mean you'll react to them the way you should, at least at the beginning. So just like, like an exercise routine, you might need to exercise and you might go to the gym and exercise, but you might not be able to do everything you, sh- you were told to do, or you might have aches and pains doing it. That doesn't mean you stop. It means you make a modification. So when people say to me, Dr. Wald, well, how long will I need to do this nutrition for? And I say, as long as you wanna be healthy or as long as you want to continue that potential benefit. It's no different than if you stop eating Well, I mean, how long can you expect to be unwell? Not that long. If you stop exercising, is your body gonna stay fit? Of course not. So it may not be convenient. I understand that. I've been sick to take uh, nutrients forever, but it's kind of what it is. It's just what there is. I wanna end with one other wacky concept about cancer prevention and treatment. And I've mentioned this on my very last show when I talked about the oral health of the body, uh, you know, dentists know uh, that if a person has certain valve problems for decades, they would give them prophylactic antibiotics because they knew the dental work itself would push bacteria and viruses and, and fungal organisms, whatever was in the mouth, into the circulation that can then circulate to the heart and damage heart valves. Except they realize the antibiotics, they don't work. Um, so, my point though is, We know that this is true not just for cardiovascular disease in that simple way I just described, but lots of disease. They even know that there's bacteria, for example, that's on like plastic coffee cup lids that can reinfect yourself. And these. so you can have a leaky mouth just like you can have a leaky gut. For those of you that do not know what a leaky gut is, that's a situation where you're, you have inflammation in your small intestine and it gets very porous. It gets these holes, microscopic holes, and then elements can go into the blood that shouldn't be there and then your immune system reacts in all these adverse ways. So the very same thing going on in the gut goes on in the mouth. So that's why I talked about an herbal oral mouthwash to be used before you brush your teeth and you floss. Because if you use it after, you've already pushed the bugs in your mouth. Any damage to your mouth pushes the bugs through. So we know that cancer and heart disease and arthritis and even bone loss and even diabetes can be triggered and directly caused by bacteria and other organisms in the mouth that leak through, that we get from surfaces. So, we want to start with an herbal wash in the mouth to begin with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it there, direct you back to my last show, which you can find at intmedny.com. That's intmedny.com. Go to the blog section, click on the title, email me your show topics at infoblooddetective.com. At and if you want to see me, I'm happy to help you. I work with distance people all the time, all over the United States and other countries, or face-to-face, just give me a call at 914-552-1442. And I look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Please join me on The Blood Detective. Tell all your friends. Bye-bye.